Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome to another Loving the Christ Life podcast. We're so happy to have you with us again today. We are in this wonderful study from Warren Litzman about renewing the mind. It's so interesting, and no one can lay it out like Warren. Let's get right into it. This is part number six. Here's Warren. When you came into this world, you had a sin nature. You lived a long time before you accepted Christ. Most of us did, or knew what it meant to accept Christ. And what were you? You were a spontaneous liver. You got up every morning and went on the job, and you lived, and you never thought, I got the devil in me, and I got to do what he wants me to do today. You didn't think like that. What'd you do? You just did it. You lived everything he wanted you to live. You did everything. Christians are the only people who really don't know who they are. All sinners live spontaneously. Christians are the only people who look in the mirror and say, Now, Lord, I want this to be a good day. I want you to help me today. I want you to help me to be good today. That's a separated state. Sinner gets up in the morning and says, Here I go. Gonna be a hell of a day, but here I go. <clears throat> what is he doing? It's all he knows to do. He's gonna curse, lie a little bit, and cheat a little bit, and get drunk before the night's over. He doesn't think about what he's gonna do, he just does it. But the poor Christian saying, Lord, help me today. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do, Lord, if I run into Sister Susie. I don't know what to do with my boss, Lord. I hate this job. Oh, God, I hate this job. See if you can get me a new job. This is the vibrant witness that steps out into the world. <laughs> no wonder no one wants his Savior. He don't know who he is. Why should he try to influence somebody else? See, the world hadn't seen the real Jesus in most places. They've seen a denominational believer. They haven't seen the real Jesus. They haven't seen the person who's in a non-separated state. I had a thing take place not long ago where one of our believers had death, severe death, and they had had everybody conscious on the job and it was in an office. They were all conscious of the ordeal that had gone through in this death and how bad it was. And so after the funeral was over and work was taken up again, they, everybody in the office wondered how this believer was going to face it. And they all had some kind word to say. But instead, that believer walked in like it was resurrection morning. No separation. And you know what? Everybody marveled. Christ alive. Spontaneous. We all get upset over death. How could Christ in me get upset over it? How could he who's conquered the grave, death and hell with it, get upset? He lives in me. That's a mind thing. That's a consciousness I must come to. I must be renewed in my mind about this second person of the Godhead, Christ. I've got to think about where he is. Somebody come to me a lot and go, said, I want you to pray the Lord will send a revival to our office. I said, aren't you there? Well, yes. Well, I said, you can't get any more Christ there than is there now. 
What are you doing about it? Young man came to me one time and he said, I want you to pray that the Lord will give me another job. Oh, I said, how's that? He says, it's a, it's a demon-possessed place I work in. He said, they're the most wicked people you ever saw. He said, they curse all the time and they make fun of Christianity. And he said, I've got to get out of that. I want you to pray that the Lord will give me a job. I said, if you thought this through, oh, yes, sir, years I've been wanting to get out of it. Well, I said, you realize what will happen? You're talking about a mean place. No Christians there. And I said, if you leave, there will be no Christ there. You were selfish. You thought, me, i got to get my little ministry somewhere else. But that big ministry of Christ in him didn't mean anything. Now, I'm not saying stay on every ungodly job. But I'm saying he lived in a separated state from the Christ that's in him. Selfish. So I said to him, if you leave, will there be any hope of Christ ever in that demon-possessed place? Well, he said, I never thought of that. I said, you better think of that before you change jobs. I said, God may want you to change jobs, but let him do it. Because when you leave, there's no Christ there. Somebody said to me not long ago, I'm not going to a family reunion again. Well, I understood that. That's... <laughs> That's one of the biggest messes you can get into. Especially as a Christian. But I said, make sure you're led of God. Because I said, if your family's like you think they are, you're the only... Oh, they don't have any confidence in me. I said, that's where you need to straighten them out. That it isn't you that lives, it's Christ. It's your mind renewed. Families today are in critical condition. We've got children that we took to church in Sunday school and saw them accept the Lord as their Savior and know that they were saved as little children. When they got teenagers or big enough, they slapped God and us in the face and went out to do their own thing. It's easy to recognize the bad that's all around us. And much of that bad is committed by people who have Christ in them, even our children. So a woman said to me one time, I've done everything I could to reach my children. What am I going to do? I said, give up. Give up. I said, it should be obvious to you now, you can't reach them. But I said, the Christ that is in you will draw all men unto him. If you can get a hold of that idea. What do I do, she said. I said, look at that erring, wayfaring, sinful boy and say, son, I see Jesus in you. Because he came to live in you when you were a child. I still see Jesus in you. You see, religion can't handle that. You have to be out of religion to see that. Because that's why that boy probably went into sin. He couldn't keep the law. Now he needs a mother that's non-separated from the Christ and brings him to a non-separated state. I'm not saying this to do, to do that to all wickedness and sin, but if you know that child accepted Jesus, he's never left him nor forsook him. That's a promise you have. 
That child thinks he's wicked and is going to go to hell because he knows law. But what if you looked at him and said, I see Jesus in you. I see Jesus in you. You know my old story when I was a teenager. I got tired of being a Baptist. So I told my mama one day I'm going to be a sinner. <laughs> Just like that. To be a sinner in my town, the pool hall was the worst thing you could go to. We've come a long way since then. I have a pool table now. <laughs> but that was the worst place in our town. That pool hall where all the ungodly crooks and everybody else went. So I went to the pool hall. I was playing pool, trying to. And one day, my mother called me in and she said, I know you're going to this ungodly place. And she said, I just want to tell you that every time you go into that pool hall, you're taking Jesus with you. Now, that didn't mean anything to me when she said it. But the next time I went into that pool hall, I remember putting my hand on the door handle. And a little voice said, here goes Jesus by you in this ungodly place again. And you're going to be taken away from Jesus yourself, which he wants to use, and acting like all the rest of them. I went on in anyhow. The third time I got to that door, I couldn't do it anymore because what Mother said bored in on me. I'm taking Jesus in an ungodly place. Not that he doesn't belong in ungodly places, but when I went in there, I didn't give him my life. My life. I didn't give him myself. And the only way Christ can operate as a self is by using ourself. I quit going. And I went back to be a Baptist. <laughs> but my mother believed Christ in you. Now, do you understand this business about separation? It's polluted in us. The idea is you can get to the place that you think going to a meeting is when you're spiritual. You're not. You're Christ alive everywhere you are. Think of that when the husband and wife get in an argument. Somebody has to be a living Christ. So the thought comes to me, and now to my wife also, that Christ, what does he think of this argument? What does he think of this issue? We used to be ready to rant and rave at each other. Is that Jesus in us? Even in the marriage, I have to watch my separation. I have a lady come to me not long ago and she had, she had always requested prayer for her backslidden husband. She said he got saved a long time ago but said he won't live for God now. And she was his pain in the neck, I could tell. <laughs> Finally, she said to me one day after somebody in a meeting had given a beautiful testimony of salvation in their family, she said to me, "What?" In the world? she came to me and said, what am I going to do about this husband of mine? I said, you tell me he's just backslidden? Yeah, I guess that's what he is. He used to be a good Christian and go to church all the time. I said, well, have you ever seen Jesus in him? Oh, no. I said, he's an ungodly man. No, I said, you're talking about what he does. I said, have you ever seen Jesus? I said, no, I just see him as a mean man that's mistreated me and the kids and he gets drunk all the time. 
I said, you still don't get my point. You keep talking about what he's doing. I said, have you ever seen Jesus in him? Finally, it dawned on her. What do you mean? I said, if he got saved years ago, Christ hasn't left him. I said, it's just what you're going to consider. His flesh or spirit? Now, somebody in religion said, well, if he's doing all those things, he's not saved. I can't agree to that. I believe a birthing is a birthing. Somebody said to me, do you believe in eternal security? Not necessarily. I believe in a birthing. You believe once in grace, always grace? No, I believe in a birthing. See? When I got birthed by my mom and daddy, I was a German. I could have believed I'd be a German till I die. I may look like it, talk like it, and smell like it today, but I'm not a German. I've been born again. I'm not allowed that separation, even in my thinking. So the fact is, there's been a, a radical change in me. My mind has changed about who I am. And I said to this woman, Christ hasn't left him. He was birthed in him. I said, now his problem is living. Living it. His problem's not salvation. His problem is in knowing who he is. And I said, what if you used to look at him instead of fussing with him and praying to him all the time? Why don't you look at him and say, I believe Jesus is in you. I see Jesus in you. Said, well, he probably knocked me down. I said, try it. After a period of time went by, she brought a testimony one day and said, my husband, sit down and had prayer with me the other day. And we got things straightened out. And he told me that even when I was sinful, I believed God hadn't left me. But he said, nobody else respected that in me until you said you saw Jesus in me. That's what Paul was talking about when he said our minds must be renewed. Don't you see the baggage we've carried in religion? The awful load we've carried? We've carried a load to where we have disannulled the powerful work of Jesus did on the cross in multitudes of lives. We said it had no power. We said, well, they got saved, but they couldn't live it. We were saying the cross had no power. We were saying the blood had no efficacy. We didn't know the gospel. You say, well, what if somebody who sins and is wicked like that dies in it? Won't they go to hell? Might. I'd have to say probably they wasn't saved in the first place. I tell you what I believe with God's birthing. You never leave the essence of the birthing. I've seen more wicked people come to God who believed in the birthing than you can imagine. I believe they'll return to God. I have hope for every person that's failed God that they'll come back to God. I won't give up that hope. And I don't have an answer for what's going to happen to them on God's part. But I have in this book the assurance that he that is in me is greater and that he will never leave me nor forsake me. So separation is an important factor in our lives and how we handle it is very important. Our text in Ephesians 4 says, if you have, if you, if so be that you have heard him. What is it Jesus says to us? 
And I'd like to tell you that the Holy Spirit is our teacher and he's the one that talks to us all the time. He's where we get our notions, our ideas, our feelings from the Holy Spirit. But what does Jesus say to us when he talks to us? What is his message to us? His message is, Lo, I'm with you always to the end. His message is, I'll never forsake you. What happens to us? Because of our sinful living, we ignore his voice. That's why we don't come back to God. Because the person who is running from God runs from God because of their condemnation. You see, we haven't taught that. What we've taught in religion is sin. When I get on a subject like this concerning people's sin, that's what most people sitting in the audience think about, sin. Well, you, he's saying all sin's going to be saved. All sin's going to go to heaven. Jesus lives in sinners. He sure does live in sinners. That's, that's no big thing. But we begin to think about sin. We're sin conscious. What did the law do to us? The law made us conscious of sin. That's what Romans 7 says. We're so conscious of sin that we're unconscious to the Christ that's in us. We have an idea that it is our sinlessness that brings us salvation. Don't we now? We don't want anybody to get up from the altar that gets saved or gives their heart to the Lord and go back into the world. If they go back in the world, we say, well, they didn't really get saved. Because we can't tolerate sin. God can't either. He doesn't like sin. But God didn't deal with sin by just being again it. Again it. That's Arkansas talk. God is against sin because Jesus took care of it at the cross. So he doesn't look at sin like we do, like we do religiously. We used to sing all those holiness songs, no sin. I think of it every once in a while. The tune goes through my mind. No sin shall enter there. That's the way we think. Well, you say, is sin going to get into heaven? No, sir. One good thing about the resurrection morning is we get a new body. You understand about sin? Sin is a body matter. When you got saved, the part of you that wasn't saved and cannot be saved till the resurrection morning is your body. What kind of sin does a believer commit? I've talked about young people that get saved and go off into sin. What kind of sin do they commit? Do they commit the sin that separates us from God? No, you can't commit innate sin again. Just can't commit it. Now you understand a little theology here. Innate sin is a sin we got from Adam. Once you accept the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot commit that sin again. Now, did you ever have trouble reading the epistle of 1 John? That's a powerful epistle, isn't it? That really throws you for a loop. You're going along pretty good in 1 John, and then in about the third chapter, he says, whosoever is birthed to God cannot commit sin. You ever read that? You ever ask your preacher to explain it? That's when you first got a hold of a merry-go-round. <laughs> I know, I used to run one. What did he mean that whosoever is birthed to God cannot commit sin? He cannot commit the sin that separates you from God. Why? You're birthed by God. He says it again in chapter 5. Whosoever is birthed to God cannot commit a sin. 
That's innate sin. That's sin you got from Adam. That's the sin that would have sent you to hell had you stayed in it. But then you get back over in the first chapter of 1 John, and around verse 7, and he's, he says things like, if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is in us. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Well, it looks like he's got forked tongue. He says one thing in chapter 1 and another thing in chapter 5. In chapter 1, he's talking about body sins, sins of the flesh. Who's he talking to? Believers. He says to the believer, if you walk in the light. God never says to a sinner to walk in the light. Why? They're in darkness. They can't even find the light. It's only believers who can walk in the light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Present tense. You've got a fountain of blood in you. If you commit a sin of the flesh, a sin of ignorance, it's immediately taken away. If you commit a sin of knowledge, then you have to ask forgiveness and make repentance. That's what that says. Well, we're so sin conscious, we don't know the difference between sin. Not a one of you here can commit the sin that separates you from God as Adam did, the sin you were born with. Get it fixed in your mind. Renew your mind to that. I cannot commit a sin that separates me from God. That will help some of you because you're sinning because you're trying to prove how bad you are. And if God's not recognizing it at all, no sense doing it anymore. <laughs> That's right. There are a lot of people who do sin just out of meanness. They just they want to do something bad to upset the rest of us. Or maybe they're mad at God. But you can't commit the sin that separates you from God. Why? Because you've been rebirthed. You have Christ in you. Christ is your life. Now you're going to sin. We say we have no sin. We lie and the truth is not in us. You see that? Sure. But those sins are easily removed because they're sins of the flesh. They're not those sins that were passed on to you like in Romans 5. As sin entered one man, so sin passed upon all men. That's finished. That's what the cross did away with. But what was this fountain filled with blood for? That's to take care of our sins of the flesh. They're grievous. They are bad. But those are the sins that the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of either automatically or by repentance. I say automatically. You probably don't understand that. I can commit a sin against you and not know I did it. <clears throat> I did this years ago out in California. I never will forget it. Uh, this is a big church out there. I was holding a revival meeting in, and I said something that hurt a lady. Now, I, don't, I, I, had, I didn't know this lady, didn't know a thing about her, but the way I said it pinpointed her situation, and it hurt her. Well, she latched on to that verse of Scripture that said, if we hurt anybody, we sinned against them. Years later, I went back to that church and held another meeting, and the first person that came up to me was that woman, and she said, I've got to tell you I have all against you. I said, how come? She said, you really hurt me. You sinned against me. I said, how did I do that? And she told me. I said, I didn't know that. She said, I don't understand how you could keep on, keep on going having done this awful thing to me. Oh, I said, that's easy, because I did it in ignorance immediately. 1 John 1 and 7 says, I was cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
immediately. Now, I'm saying this for some of you that may be holding something to get somebody and they don't know what it is they did that hurt you. They don't understand the situation that you have labeled as something desperate in your life. And you wonder how they could go on. I've had, I know scores of Christians to say to me, I don't know how that person could continue. I don't know how that preacher could preach. I don't know how they could keep on going as wicked as they are. Why they did something to them. You know how they went on? The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed them from all sin. Why? It was sins of ignorance. But now if I come to you and say with this attitude, I'm going to straighten you out. Bless God, you need somebody to really sock you. And I'm going to straighten you out. And when I do it, I know what I'm doing. That's a sin of knowledge. Now the blood doesn't take that away. It will, but it doesn't then. That's not automatic. You know what I have to do then? I have to go to you and confess. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I have to go to my heavenly Father and say, Father, I got in a separated state from the Christ that's in me. And I exercised my selfish rights to do what I wanted to do. And I ask your forgiveness. Repentance is made by believers. We repent. That's how we treat sin in the body of Christ. You need a renewed mind to see and to understand that. So my purpose in talking to you from this verse is if we so heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, then we put off the old way of living. Let me finish this verse, and I'll be finished for this session. We put off our former conversation. What is that? That's our old way of doing things. Who is the old man? He's the old man. <coughs> Let me show you something. You don't understand the grace of God like you ought to. Look at this. Here's this believer. He's had Satan in him. Sin nature. His whole soul and body is polluted and he only exercises and expresses what his nature is. He has been exercising what Satan wanted ever since he's been in this world. But then something happens. He gets born again. God by the cross does a miraculous thing. He puts Satan out and Christ in. But look at this. There's a trail running right through this fellow. And Christ won't use that trail. He won't flow through it. What is this? This trail is former conversation, or I like to call it the old man. What is the old man? It's the old way of thinking. Paul says three different times, get rid of the old man. The old man was taken care of at the cross. Allow that to happen. Well, we don't allow that to happen. On God's part, this isn't here anymore. But on our part it is. So we must renew our minds and Christ then begins to flow. And our expression down here then is Christ. That's what a Christian is. We begin to express this Christ that's in us. Once again, that's not a quickly done thing. 
That's not an over-the-night miracle. Don't get in a hurry. Somebody's always coming to me and say, let me get a bunch of your tapes so I can get this thing in a hurry. There's no such thing. <clears throat> get the tapes. But there's no such thing. You know how long it's going to take you to know who you are in Christ? By the way God created you. And you were created different than anybody else He ever created. So don't get it in your mind he did it in 30 days, I can do it. She did it in a week, I can do it. He got a miracle, I can do it. No such thing. God is going to operate through you like He created you. Take pride in that. That God's not going to come out of me like somebody else. He's going to come out of me like He created me. You see, that's why I can't get along with religion. Because religion wants to stereotype everybody. Wants to put you all in one being and say they're all the same. None of us are the same. We are all different. The misery you've gone through in religion has been because somebody tried to make you like them. They tried to fit you into their doctrine, fit you into their classroom, fit you into their catechism, fit you into whatever it is they're doing. We don't all fit. What about the people who fit into it? They'll get tired of it sooner or later and then they have to make a decision whether they come out of it like you do or whether they'll just live in it the rest of their days. Because God fixes every one of us. So we move on in Him if we so desire. Well, that's a good place to stop. We'll stop right there and you have a good lunch and be back for the next meeting. Our text in uh, Ephesians 4, I'd like to refer to that again if I might. Let's read it again. It says, "Be, ye, But you have not so learned Christ. If so be ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I'm a firm teacher. There's nothing you can do to please God within yourself. But there is something you can do about your thinking. James said, said as a man thinketh. You, you can control a lot of your thoughts. Now, most people don't believe that. They don't believe they can control their thoughts. And they're really right if they've not been born again. Even more than that, people who are born again can't control their thoughts. So it's more than being born again. It's knowing what it means to be born again. It's knowing that Christ is in you. But it's even more than that. Not just Christ in you, but how he got in you by a birthing. You see, we could rightly divide the scriptures at this point. Most theologians believe that people in the Old Testament who obeyed God were born again, so to speak. That is, they had a new life in front of them, which is what most people believe born again is now. But I believe when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he was not talking about them having a new life in front of them and a new future. He was talking about another life in them. That's different. As I made mention yesterday, in the 
unfulfilled covenants that belong to Israel. One of them is the new covenant out of Jeremiah, which speaks of Israel getting a new heart, new future, where you've heard it preached lots of times, God said, I will put in you a new heart. That's sort of a being born again experience, and a lot of Bible theologians say that that constitutes an Old Testament type of being born again. But that's not a birthing at all. When God joins Jesus to our spirit, that's different from anything else that's mentioned in the Scriptures. When God births in us His Son, that's not just giving us a new heart or a new feeling or a cleansing. That's giving us another life. That's different. I think our minds need to be renewed on that particular subject, that Christ in us is another life, that it not become a cliché or a buzzword or a spin on salvation, but that we understand actually that there's another life in us. In physical science, they discovered remarkable things about a human being. I studied this in my studies. <clears throat> I studied one time about a group of people that were all helpless paralytics. And they lived in a sanitarium. And they were taken up to the sunroof, uh, a uh, screened-in porch in the morning. They were all in wheelchairs or on stretchers, hopeless paralytics. And they sat there and enjoyed the sun for a little while, and the attendants went off to other parts of the building. And one morning while they all sat there, a rattlesnake slithered up the screen, came through a hole in the top of the screen, came down, and started across the floor right toward these paralytics. And they screamed and they hollered, and the attendants were so far away they couldn't get to them. Didn't hear them. And the story says that every one of those paralytics jumped off of stretchers and out of wheelchairs. <laughs> <laughs> to get away from that snake. That there was a resource in them nobody had ever been able to get a hold of, but that snake did. <laughs> I did a meeting one time uh, in Houston, Texas, a revival meeting, and I picked up the local newspaper there one day and had a story about a man, black man, uh, it was on a busy downtown street of Houston that uh, a fellow was working on a big tractor truck. And he had it on a jack, and he just crawled up and under it, and he, the, jack, the thing fell off the jack, and the axle came right down and pinned against the check, chest and was squeezing the life out of him. Well, a bunch of people were passing by, and so several men began to holler at each other, and they all ran over to that big tractor truck and tried to pick it up. They grunted and groaned, and, and they couldn't move that truck. It's too heavy. I don't know, seven or eight of them couldn't move that truck. And the guy was dying. Finally, this big black fellow saw what was going on. He went over, and he pushed all those men away. Reached down, picked up the truck, and they pulled the guy out and saved his life. Well, the newspaper got a hold of him. That was enough to get a story on. And so they asked this fellow, said, how is it you couldn't do what all those other fellows did? Well, he said, I stood there and looked at him and said, every one of them was figuring the other one would do something. And he said, I figured that guy's going to die if somebody didn't do something, so I went over and picked that truck up. Superhuman strength. You see, what you don't know about yourself 
is that there's nothing wrong with you. Ain't that good news? Nobody said amen. Most of your life, you and others have figured out what's wrong with you. And that's what has shaped your identity. That's made you who you are. I'm an old psychologist. I used to deal with it all the time. And I became convinced that if you tell somebody that there's something wrong with them long enough, there is. There really is, especially since I was dealing with mind problems. You tell somebody they can't live without a certain thing, a certain pill, or a certain something, they can't. That's true. You say you can't, you can't. If you believe you can't, you can't. So human beings don't really know much about themselves. And I like to start dealing with human beings by telling you there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with yourself. Now i got to clear that matter up because i found most preachers that get to preaching on uh, the deeper life say the first thing you got to do is crucify yourself. you got to get rid of self. Well, if you do, there's nothing for Jesus to operate through. What in the world is he going to do if there's no you? We have a fuzzy notion that God's just going to come down and move our arms and move our eyes and uh, move our inner parts and our legs and that's how we're going to function. No, Christ is in us and the only way he can function is through us. Our self, the human self. Nothing wrong with the human self. Every human self is created by God. It's in a mother's womb. Mothers manufacture human cells. That's what they do. And there's nothing wrong with that cell. I don't care how the baby comes out of the mother's womb. There's nothing wrong with it. It may have all kinds of problems. It may have physical problems or mental problems. But there's nothing wrong with the cell. Because if it lives, Christ in it will fulfill that cell. He takes a human self and he works through it for the glory of God. That's what glory is. But we've lost concept of what a human self is. Most of us, when we do wrong, say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish myself. There are problems with self. There's what self does within itself that's wrong. Self-righteousness is wrong. What we crucify is the self-righteousness, not the self. Self-ishness is wrong. We don't crucify self, we crucify self-righteousness. In other words, the erroneous world that self has gotten attached to is what's crucified, not the self. Don't you realize that the same self that Satan used is the self that Christ will use? That's to the glory of God. That's wonderful. I'm glad because I can't change myself. That's God's creation of me. Now where we need our mind renewed is this business of who we are. Who we are. See, I believe most people are going to live and die and never know who they were because most people have a real problem with what we call identity who they think they are.
They have a problem with that. Because after you come into the world, you start doing things a certain way. Mama or daddy tells you how to do them. School tells you how to do it. Life tells you how to do it. The job tells you how to do it. Circumstances tell you how to do it. And you add all this up, and the end result is you form an identity of who you think you are. Well, we're going to have to stop right here, but I promise we'll pick up next week where we left off on this great study from Warren Litzman called Renewing the Mind. Now, we'd like to invite you to go to our website, christ-life.org. Read all about us and be sure and go to the bookstore and look at these wonderful materials that Warren left behind that you could have in your own home. Check it out, christ-life.org. We'd like to thank Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these podcasts. Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does our weekly podcast notes. And this program is produced weekly by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.